Welcome to the podcast, brother. Welcome to the podcast, brother. I am Pierce Nahigian, the elder brother. And I am Derek Hobson, the younger brother. And this is Losing, Losing Lost. Lost. We're going to get it. We're going to get it one of these days. You know what it is? I, I think actually the welcome to the podcast throws me off because I'm like, that's the name of it. And then I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we are talking about season one, episode 10 of Lost, Raised by Another. It first aired on ABC on December 1st. 2004, I have nothing to say about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, yeah, tell me, what, what, did, uh, what did you think of it? At least on like a, 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 on a, on a graded scale or on a scale of 1 to 10? or I, where... You know, it's weird. I don't have like, I don't have any major criticisms of the episode. I don't think it's a bad episode. I think I would feel differently about this episode if anything to do with Claire or her baby really mattered in the series. <laughs> I feel like Damon Lindelof is all over this episode because of the whole, the psychic like totally knows something. And that whole thing I thought was effectively creepy, but I also, it left me with so many questions that he gives this impression that like, if Claire doesn't raise this baby herself, he's gonna be a uh, Hitler. But as for the episode itself, it does have, I think it has one of the best endings of any episode in the show. That ending of Hurley running up to Jack and saying somebody wasn't on the manifest and then Ethan just being like, hey. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> yeah, him doing his best Bill Murray in Osmosis Jones impression. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, it's so funny because like up until this episode, he's been like a regular guy and then he just, has that vacant stare at the end of the episode and it's totally chilling and you're just like oh shit what is this what is happening so yeah i feel neutral on the most of the episode and i also i don't know if claire is a good actress which i guess we can talk about later anyway i've 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 i've, I've talked enough about it what, what did you think about this episode i uh i felt very similarly the first i i watched it for the first time in a long time because i want to say i probably skipped this episode on rewatches <laughs> um i uh i felt very neutral where i'm like that was it was tight it was concise i'm not invested in claire but i can't point to anything and be like why'd they do that like everything worked but on a on a rewatch i definitely think that there is a miscommunication in some ways, actors' performances, in some ways, the editing. Hmm. And I, so. the best example I can give, and I'll jump into this one now, is Charlie. It is absolutely a natural progression when someone suffers addiction and they go through recovery. In the early stages of recovery, they enter into a pink cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, which is where they feel euphoric. They can take on the world. They're happy about the fact that they're overcoming their addiction. And that's great. It is also why in uh, certain programs, such as Alcoholics Anonymous, you will not start a relation, uh, uh, mm -hmm. intimate relationship with someone for at least a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
I think that Dominic Monaghan is playing this well. I think he's doing the right thing. But you notice that whoever is directing or editing the show, when he kind of does this whole thing of like, and you know, I think about how lonely you are, and I think I could be your friend. And then they play the the Michael Giacchino score, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is not romantic. He's Dominic Monaghan's doing the right thing. He's playing this part right. But whoever was directing it was like, oh, yeah, this is romantic. I'm going to play the score. And it's like, no, no, this is not the time to play the score. This is I think there's that level of disconnect with a couple of the things that I'll, I'll point out as we go through it. But, yeah, like that to me is like I think Charlie is in a character wise. I think this makes absolute sense for them to, him to play this up now. I appreciate that Claire doesn't immediately jump into it. And I think mm-hmm. that Dominic Monaghan is playing it right. But they they misread the scene. Like when they saw, got the script. This was not the way to play it. I I agree with that, actually. I feel that, that the tone is, isn't quite right. And Charlie's got that very sort of manic energy. Where it's like He's so excited about this new thing that he can glom onto, which is why they have that rule in AA, where it's like, you're going to want to just jump onto any new relationship and be like, this is, I can, I can fixate on this. This is the, this is my new drug basically. And they're like, no, that's, that's just because the thing is, if that person is not responsible for your sobriety, and also if this person breaks your heart, it's going to become twice as hard to stay sober. Yeah. Um, that I actually, I have more notes about that one when, when we get to it in the recap, but I, the tone isn't quite right. And I, I think you you make a very good point there that it's there's it's there's something off about that whole interaction. The show isn't serving the characters. I I totally agree with you about that. Just to kind of cut ahead here with um, Claire's Kmart version of Elijah Wood boyfriend, um, <laughs> I I think that actor is doing his scene where he breaks up with Claire wrong. He should have read that and played it as though. This is out of character, as though it should feel like someone has told him, you need to break up with her. <laughs> um, I felt the opposite for that one. I actually felt like he played that scene really realistically, and Claire kind of just comes off as just very yelly, just kind of like a toddler just being upset, and <laughs> which is kind of how I feel about most of her acting, where it's like she's either real quiet and nice... Or she just, she's just screaming. And again, I don't know if I'm just not vibing with the actor or if I'm just, or I, I can't tell. I think that I'm too biased on Claire as a character to know. But I, yeah, I felt like he was playing it very, very real. And she was playing it way over the top. But again, I, mean, I understand that that is a big emotional thing. Like you are pregnant you weren't sure about it. Your boyfriend said, no, let's do it. And then he's just like, nah. No. <laughs> and I mean, to a degree, like if he did play it right, then I guess, yeah. No, I think I think he did it wrong. I think because <laughs> I will say during the breakup scene, he does throw in one part where he's like, oh, here we go with your daddy problems. Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, OK, well, no one told him to say that. <laughs> like, but David Lindelof told him to say that yeah. is what it is. But, like, I just get the impression that with what they have done, and and I will say there is definitely a lot of inspiration drawn from the omen. (laughs) Because I love that even when they find out they're pregnant, he's like, she's like, how long has it been? He's like, "Uh, it's been 66 seconds. And then she's like, I'm six weeks late. And I'm like, there it is. 
<laughs> you got the, you got the beast number there. That's uh, but um, I, I just yeah, I get the impression that he should have been more like scared of breaking up with her. And I and I have some thoughts too around the uh, psychic, which I'm sure we'll get to. I could swear that there is another episode where he talks to a character and says that he's a fraud. Yeah. But everything in this episode points to he has real psychic powers. He knows that this plane is going to crash and he is setting her up for this. Like he gives her $6,000 to get on the plane. Like that's not, that's not nothing. Yeah. Uh, no, not, but I, I know what you're talking about. Cause yes, he absolutely does show up in another, I don't even know whose flashback it is, but I know mm-hmm. it's like some like unrelated character where he's like, I'm a fraud. Okay. That's what I do. And it's like, <laughs> what? I do have some context regarding this episode because I did look it up. Ooh. And I, again, had nothing to say. I was like, I should look up something. Uh, <laughs> the the only thing I found, because I did look up an interview with Emily Dimmerbeen, and she's not interesting. <laughs> but there was one with Damon Lindelof where he mentioned that, and it, it, he echoed what you had said, how Solitary and this one, Raised by Another, were written, at the very least, concurrently. Mm. He said when this episode was going to go up, they knew they had a hit on their hands. And he's like, usually in the show business, when you have a hit, they're like, you guys got it. Do what you do, what you will. You, you've got this thing under control. And he said the opposite thing happened when producers or the studio execs read raised by another, where they were like, you need to be real careful about this episode. Hmm. Um, and he said it in the interview, cause I was reading the Q and a, you know, the, is it because trans- of like like baby stuff? That's immediately where I went. I'm like, is yeah. it going to be like because they're kind of talking about abortion in the beginning? Yeah. But no, the, it was due to making it real that yes, there were other people on this island, oh. um, and it leads to the supernatural elements with this whole psychic, because they were saying like, look, you, you had an episode on finding water, and it was solid. It was mm. great audiences reacted well to it and they're like well yeah but we can't have every every episode be where are they going to find water where are they going to find food (laughs) they're like we have to start building out new and unique issues and this was one of them was having people on the island uh who are already there it doesn't sound like the baby stuff and abortion had anything to do with it it sounds like uh it was just that the executives were concerned about them having psychics and having people on the island already. It seems like the producers were okay with a little bit of magic, but they didn't want it to get all freaky deaky. Like they didn't want it yeah. to be crazy, which is eventually what happened anyway. So <laughs> you just can't. Yeah. Just I do think it's interesting though. And that's why I do think in certain areas, I feel there's a disconnect. And I get that part of it probably is the mystique of not knowing what necessarily character motivations are. Cause for instance, maybe the guy playing Kmart Elijah Wood is I think his name is Thomas. I don't think it should have been as vague as it was. Mm. I get the impression that interference led certain scenes and certainly certain discrepancies come to a head as they try to balance out. Let's not go too far into the deep end because I, I think that the fact that we disagree on how Thomas plays that breakup part 
maybe that is intentional, like you said, where they don't want it to be out of character, but they don't want it to be in character. And it's they want to toe that line so that it could just be that this is a teen drama breakup. <laughs> I yeah, think to go they, back to the psychic thing, my main issue with that is that on, a, on an initial watch, it's very intriguing because it's like, oh, shit, he's really he's seeing something. He's really scared. But we we learn absolutely nothing about what he saw, about what the danger is, and it doesn't really come up again. I mean, unless I'm completely forgetting it, I could. I could be forgetting that there's like a, a major thing there. But uh, her child for, the, I don't know, for like two or three years is raised by another. And nothing goes wrong. I mean, other than, you know, all of the things that are already going wrong. Uh, which are caused by people being on the island in the first place. So it's a very flimsy hook to hang all of this stuff on, you know? Well, that's why there was a part of me, and again, pretty much up until the last scene with the psychic where he gives her the ticket to Flight 815, mm -hmm. there was a part of me that was like, can you interpret what he's doing as uh, he's purposely trying to make her discredit him did you know like when he's holding her hands does he see this horrific plane crash where hundreds of people die and <laughs> people are left stranded on the island with a horrific monster and he's like this is terrible how can i prevent this from happening and she's like oh i'm gonna give up this baby anyway and he's like and then in his vision he remembers like oh my god the whole reason that she winds up on that plane and that horrible crash happens is because she was going to give up her baby how can I make her not give up her baby? And so he's like, he's like, you, you have to raise this child. You, you have to do it. And she's like, no, forget it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it up to adoption. He's like, oh my God, she won't listen to me. And then he's like, oh my God, she won't listen to me here. Here's a flight. Get on 815. Here's $6,000. Surely she won't do it. <laughs> there's, um, a, there's a darker reading there though, is that his psychic powers only extend to knowing that the plane disappears and probably crashes. And he's like, she's carrying the second coming of Hitler. I'll put her on this plane and it's not a problem anymore because she'll and her baby will be dead. That is, uh, that would align with the omen. Uh <laughs> I mean, it's not Charlie's interpretation, which I think, I think Charlie's interpretation is probably what the show is trying to tell us. But that's the way I always like to think about it. We're just sort of like, this woman's baby is the devil and I need to get rid of it. We need to drown it in the ocean. <laughs> I mean, I like that because, you know, the whole uh, I don't know if you ever saw the omen. Oh, yeah. I've seen I've seen all the omens. Oh, except okay. for the new one. I'm sure they've they've made like a bunch of new ones. But I yeah. I, I, well, and I, I only saw the one that was uh, 2006 because that was their whole marketing campaign was. June 6, 2006, if you That's ignore some good. of those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember watching that movie with Ted, of all people, and he's like, you know, I'm realizing that the whole premise here is we want you to root for the guy that's going to kill a baby. <laughs> and, and he's like, that's kind of weird and kind of messed up. And it would make sense with that interpretation that if, like, the psychic sees this baby as the next coming of Hitler – it's like, I don't want to dip my toes in it. I, I can't. You don't. It's the same thing that people always talk. Like, didn't they make them cut that out of the Deadpool movie where he goes back in time and kills Hitler? 
And people are like, no, man, not cool. No, I think that's totally in there, actually. I think oh, it is? I think that's, I think it's in the photo. <laughs> I, I think your interpretation of that's like, well, I need to kill this baby without <laughs> killing this baby is like, I mean, and I guess if you think about it, like their first scene together is really like, you know, should we abort or have a baby? Mm-hmm. And since they do kind of dance around that subject, that's real interesting. I, I I like that. I, I think it's, yeah, it is horrifying and certainly puts <laughs> the psychic in a very different light. Right. I don't think, Man. I don't, I don't think the show's trying to go there, but I, 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 I enjoy, I enjoy, that's my headcanon. This <laughs> the psychic's like, I've got to get rid of this baby. Yeah, that's, oh man. Because what, yeah. what is it? What is, what is the thing? Like, what's the thing? Like, what is what? it about the baby? No, and you're right. I mean, I think that's the thing, because I do think this episode is totally fine. I feel good about it. Like, I think that there's a lot of neat stuff, and it's very tight. Yeah. Again, doesn't fray like the way that Sun's episode does. No, um, yeah, it is. Generally, it's good. Like, all the character stuff that we've talked about in the previous episodes is on point. Like, all of the characters behave like how we we know them to behave. But, like, even that short little scene between Hurley and Sawyer, I just really enjoy it. Oh, I that's the first note I have <laughs> is is that moment. Uh, but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, I, I think that I should have looked that up because, yeah, I don't think anything really happens with Aaron. No, like, we get stuff with Walt later on. Like, it's clear that they had a lot more planned for him, but we get bits and pieces of it. And again, the epilogue that you haven't seen kind of puts a, a bow on all of that. Like it, it's Walt's Walt's in the epilogue and it, it fits. That's but, cool. Yeah, the kid, he's just a, a baby. I think there's some indication somewhere down the line that maybe he's like the, he should be like the heir to the island. Like one day he'll be like a Jacob or something, but I don't think that goes anywhere. Yeah, I, I think the only other interpretation would be that it's like predestination or like Eloise hockey. And I don't know if anything comes of this because I, I don't think anything does. Like, I know how, you know, she made it very clear, like, oh, you've got to break up with this girl so I can get you to the island and all that stuff. And I, I wonder if the psychic is kind of like that, where it's like, oh, for all of these events to unfold and for the man in black to be defeated, I need to get her to the island. That's interesting. Uh, like, what if, yeah, what if he, like, the that whole first time that he like meets with her, he gets a flash of like everything that happens, like all of the things that need to align so that, so Jack can plug a hole. <laughs> and he's just like, I don't want to, nope, I'm out. And then he like sends her away. And then when she comes back and he like reads the thing, he like, he puts it all together like Sherlock Holmes, the Robert Downey Jr. movie. Just like, all right, she needs to get on the island, and then this thing needs to happen, and then the baby needs to get off the island, and there's all this stuff, and then, and then evil will be vanquished, and the man in black will be gone. And, yes, okay, yes, let's do this. <laughs> and that's why he's calling her for four months. He's like, you need to get on that plane. You do not understand how important this is. <laughs> I will, I'll have to, we'll have to keep an eye on it. Because doesn't Claire even just disappear for like seasons four through five? Four and five? I think she does. Yeah. It's an, it's interesting enough. Said, like, yeah, I guess even Charlie's thing at, and at the tail end there, he's like, well, maybe he did send you here. So you could say, like, yeah, that's one way to look at it. And it's mm. totally serviceable as an answer, but it's also like, well, maybe, maybe there's something else going on. Yeah. I liked it. I, I thought it was a great <laughs> episode. Uh, as you mentioned, I think the, the last five minutes is just so good. 
I you know I, I I I didn't dislike it. I think it would it would come nowhere in my rankings of like top episodes, but it wasn't a bad episode. Before going into the recap of it that I I want to mention. One is I as much as I hated it, I do got to admire that it sounds like the actress Emily's screaming oh, it's uh, was super oh, yeah, so it, painful. It's a- it's horrible to hear. It, it really does sound like somebody's being murdered. But it's also like I think of every single movie, both like hundreds of millions of dollars as well as those that cost nickels, where they use like a stock scream uh-huh. and how much it does just like similar to like a lot of those sound effects or like the Wilhelm scream or whatever mm-hmm. that just like they take you out of it. because you're like, right, I've heard that a million times. The, and I am really grateful that they didn't do that it sounds like she's screaming that is that is a very good point that was something i didn't take this note but i remember watching it and thinking like the director clearly told her especially i think that second time when she thinks somebody's like injecting her with something clearly told her i want you to scream as loud as you can and she does and uh hats off because that is not easy to do especially to do that and not really mess up your vocal cord like she is she's letting it go like it's yeah 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 so, it's, kudos it's like I, I i praise it i don't like it but i i do i <laughs> also i guess i prefer it to to like a stock scream i just and now i'm just uh, thinking about the green goblin scream in the first same oh, spider-man yes, that yes. yeah like that's, that's you could definitely hear yeah that's the scream i'm thinking of I, yeah. I didn't know what that one was called but i'm like that is literally like yeah it takes you out of the movie in a heartbeat mm-hmm. um uh the other question i had just before we get really into it because this comes up kate says that saeed has been gone for a week and this is something that during solitary i don't think we really talked about because since it's happening saeed stuff is happening concurrently mm-hmm. with the golf course i think i just assumed it was happening in the same day, but I'm wondering now if Saeed was tortured for like three or four days. So I think, I think he was traveling along the beach for like two or three days. He was held by Rousseau for like one or two days. And then it took him another two days to get back because Kate says he's been gone for almost a week. So I think that timeline makes sense. Like two days walking up the beach, two days ish with Rousseau Two days to get back. Okay. We open on Claire's eye. She hears a baby's cry and wakes up in the caves. Uh, she sees that she's not pregnant, so this is a dream. She tromps through the jungle to find Locke messing with a tarot deck. His eyes are the black and white stones from the game that we saw in the beginning. So she finds a crib in the jungle with an oceanic airplane mobile. There's some cool foley work as the planes spin around. You hear like the the creaking plane noise. I thought that was very effective. Yeah. She starts opening like just like blankets upon blankets upon blankets. This actually is kind of like a, a dream sequence in the first Hellraiser movie where Kirsty um, hears a baby crying and then sees like a body bleeding through like a, a tablecloth. I'm I'm curious if it was intentionally a, a, a an homage to that or. If it's just a weird coincidence, she finds blood in the crib. As a parent, this this is this is the kind of dream where it just completely messes you up for like a week. Like it's yeah, you're just like I I don't know what's going on in my brain anymore. 
Um, she wakes up screaming with blood in her hands. Charlie says she was sleepwalking. And then we come back uh, to Jack patching her up. We learn that she dug her nails into her palms so hard that she drew blood. We learn that Jack said some stuff in his sleep once. Maybe it was creepy. Maybe it was just misogynistic. Who knows what it was? This is where I'm going to pause because I I love this kind of stuff. In the same way that we learned in like the pilot where, you know, he's like, oh, I took a few pilot lessons, wasn't for me. And it's like, oh, it's an interesting detail. I would have liked to have seen that. What was that? But what I like about this, Jack, is that we get a lot by what he how he reacts to Claire, as well as like that, where he's like, oh, yeah, someone told me I talked to my slave. I don't know what I said, but she didn't like it. <laughs> and, you know, on some level, it's like, oh, poor Jack. And then later he basically says, like, well, I think Claire's hormones are acting up. And I think that's why she's freaking out. And it's like, Jack, I don't think you might be a good lover. <laughs> like, this sounds like maybe this is the kind of thing. Maybe you weren't talking in your sleep. Maybe you were falling asleep while she was talking to you. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, uh. It's not what you said, I, Jack. It's what you didn't say. Yeah. I, I just, I really like, I like that this is like how we get glimpses of how Jack handles relationships. <laughs> it doesn't sound good, but it is very in keeping with his character. All of that being said, I feel that Jack in this episode is friendlier than we've seen, I think, in maybe any episode, um, except for maybe the, the previous one where he's playing golf. But, like, he's genuinely, like, he's letting people into his thought process. He's asking questions. He's asking, like, advice. Like, he's trying to comfort Kate. Like, it's, this is, like, this is a very friendly Jack. He doesn't want to raise the baby. He doesn't want to raise the baby. And he also, and also he's got a lot of people in the caves, and Jack loves caves. And so as long as people are in caves, he's happy. <laughs> all, right. all right. But I also, I think that he just, he's like, I don't want to deal with this baby. I don't want to deal with a baby. I don't want to do it. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, like, I mean, and this, I mean, the show, you know, hangs a lampshade on this many times where it's like, Jack is a spinal surgeon. You have to be very skilled to do that, but it doesn't mean that you can fix every single problem. Like doing surgery on a spine and delivering a baby are almost as, as the opposite ends of the, the, the doctor spectrum. Like it's, it's a completely different skill set. And, uh, Jack's just looking around and sort of like, Whoa, I'm, I know I'm going to have to deliver this baby. And I really wish that I didn't have to do that. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So we go to Jack finally brings up the fact that Claire got on a plane in her third trimester. Claire says her OBGYN was cool with it. And I. it seems to me like she's lying, right? Like, it yes. seems like she's evading the thing. Like, Jack kind of gives her a look and she's like, okay. No, this is where I, I think we can give Emily credit here because I think she plays this very well where – it's clear Claire is lying. Mm -hmm. And the only time we see the honesty come out is when I forget what it was that he asked. Oh, her about. he's talking about how she, how she feels. And yeah. like she's just going about like, well, when I stand up, I get dizzy and I have to pee all the time. And yeah. Yeah. Then she starts getting honest, but and I think it purposely didn't show her meeting with an OBG during her whole flashbacks because they're like, she doesn't even have one. <laughs> she you she know probably what? doesn't have insurance. <laughs> You know what struck me in this scene specifically is how young she is. I assumed she was in like her mid twenties. 
I'm looking at her in this episode as a 36-year-old man being like, she's a kid. Which kind of makes the Charlie relationship not as cool for me. Because, like, Dominic Monaghan is not a kid. I mean, he's a relatively young rock star, but, like, he's not a kid. He's in his late to mid to late 20s, if that. Yeah, the age stuff always gets gross. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Paul Bettany, but I remember seeing infinity war when he and elizabeth olsen are being romantic and i'm like isn't paul bettany like 25 years older than her yeah i so i go back and forth on this on the one hand i'm like well he's a robot so he can be whatever and then on the other hand i'm like well yeah but if he's a robot why does he look like that when he could look like anything he can face through walls clearly he can move around his matter but then i'm like well i'm just glad paul bettany's getting work and it's like okay yeah yeah, but seriously how old is elizabeth olsen she's like the third olsen kid so she's got to be pretty damn young um so yeah yeah i i'm with you on that one (laughs) that's literally my same thought process uh we get our first uh we get our first flashback uh claire and her boyfriend freaking out about the pregnancy test she's six weeks late uh thomas says maybe they should have the baby and she's like really and he's like yeah everything's gonna be great um oh we also learned that claire's mother has basically disowned her we don't get any more information about that um i assume that's coming up in a later episode uh or maybe it'll never be touched on again uh i really i really remember very little about claire's story other than jack's father is her father and i'm realizing that it's meaningless but i i have more emotional attachment and i forget if it's at the end of this season or if it's like if they hold it off for like another season there's at least at some point in the series where we find out that Sawyer met Jack's dad and doesn't share it. And I want to say it's like a season later that he tells Jack. And I remember it's like, it is so touching. Hmm. And like that kind of a character connection means something both from like Sawyer and Jack and Jack thinking about his dad. But yeah, I have, I'm realizing I have no memory of how Jack being related to Claire. Yeah. What payoff there is for that. I don't think there really is one. You did remind me of that. I forgot that they met and it's something it's like later on, there's like something that Jack says or something that happens where like Sawyer puts it together that he met his dad. I had forgotten about that connection, but I believe that's why Christian goes to Australia. We will learn like later, like he wanted to go see Claire. Oh yeah. I guess then for them, it just, it's a, it's a plot point. It's like, Mm. why did this guy go to Australia? He's a doctor. He's rich. Well, no, he has another child. <laughs> this is the, the drunk writer's room. <laughs> That's there's he has a, a baby over there. There's a uh, on the on the podcast where Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof would talk about the episodes. They always talked about how if things didn't work out with the show and they got canceled, their idea to to end the show was there would be an orangutan in a in a in a tuxedo and they would like jack would like walk into an office and the orangutan would like turn around and he'd be like smoking a cigar and he would just explain all of the answers to the show and he'd be like be like so that's that voice you just did is what i'm imagining the orangutan sounds like but why was my dad in australia i don't know <laughs> <laughs> they had a name for him it's like mr something i forget i will i will look that up um <laughs> all right moving on Back on the island, Jack does a little flirty flirty uh, with Kate. Um, she's sinking in the thing, and she gets sad about her mom, and Jack makes a joke to cheer her up. 
uh, she's like talking about sinking. He's like, yeah, you can sink your way out of the island or whatever. And she like perks up. Uh, it's nice. It actually, at this stage, I'm actually finding it very endearing that Jack keeps coming back to the island and ostensibly he's doing it to like, you know, bring them water and get back fish. Like he says, and check on people for their, you know, you know, medical reasons. But like, it's very clear that he's always like, kind of just like checking up on Kate. Just be like, you want to come back to the caves with me? It's kind of cool over there. But like, he's kind of backed off. He's not as possessive as he was in previous episodes. And they've just got this kind of, they got this thing going on. And I like, I like the thing right now at this stage of the relationship. I like the thing they're doing. I do too. I, I think it's uh, it's it's nice. Kate says Saeed's been gone almost one week. Jack says Claire's going to have the baby soon. Next scene, Claire and Charlie are sharing tea. It seems like they've subtly moved their relationship backward because I would have told you that the scene where he has like the, the invisible peanut butter and they share that and you know he brings her back to the caves, yeah. that seemed like the beginning of a friendship slash relationship. And then it feels like this scene, like you mentioned with like the the editing that's off, it just doesn't this doesn't feel like it organically builds off of that. It feels like they've gone a few steps backwards, which, you know, I guess that can happen in relationships, but it doesn't it doesn't match up to me. Yeah, no, totally cuz I think the peanut butter thing was what got him to basically get her to move, I mean not move in with him, but you know, they it, no, but they it kinda, feels like that. Yeah, it totally feels yeah. like that. And um and yeah so it is, it was weird now it is like oh oh or, yeah it, it's yeah it, it's a little choppy I think it's supposed to be that like Claire's feeling weird about you know what's going on and she's like really you know isolating herself and so she just doesn't want to deal with Charlie's thing right now like I get that but it just it really does feel like the conversation that they have where. She's just like, I don't I don't know why you think we're friends. Like, we're not going to be friends and we're not going to be more <laughs> than friends. Like, it it really felt like previously, like they were like, oh, there's a little spark there. And I was just kind of like, uh, I don't know. You go away. Yeah. <laughs> Although I guess that's the other thing, too, that I, I didn't consider. I just assumed everyone was sleeping in like the same general vicinity. Mm-hmm. But as they point out later, when Claire is attacked, that they. Like, we went to all the little encampments around the cave, and it's like, oh, oh, so people are a bit more spread out. Things are more separated. They are, but it's also, I think somebody else mentions that, like, they're all only, like, 20 feet from each other. So it's, oh. I don't know. It's, I, yeah, it's weird. We go to a flashback. Uh, Claire and her friend go to the psychic. The psychic knows she's pregnant. He gets freaked out, gives her her money back. And it's effectively freaky. I think it's a it's a freaky scene. We've talked about it already, but like I think I think it works. It makes you go like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. Uh, we cut to Claire sleeping on the island. Someone covers her mouth and what looks like a knife to me, but it turns out it's like some some kind of hypodermic needle. Um, we cut to her screaming, and as we've mentioned before, it's a terrible terrible scream. <laughs> um, it's pretty clear from Jack's acting that he thinks that she's she was dreaming. The next scene, while they're walking around, Hurley mentions Scott and Steve. Uh, I think this is our <laughs> second mention, maybe, of Scott and Steve. Hurley makes the good point that they don't know who anybody is. Um, he mentions that his name is Hugo Reyes. Hurley is a nickname. He won't say how he got his nickname. It's very funny. <laughs> I love Hurley. This, I mean, I know I, it's a given, but this episode is just another slam dunk for Hurley. 100%. Just, he's just so human and endearing. Because I even just love how, like, a pre, he's unnecessary. He's preemptively annoyed. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> that people would assume his name is Hurley. <laughs> <laughs> My name's not Hurley. Hugo Reyes. Why? I'm not saying. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, who are you arguing with right now? I just, oh, God, I love him in this episode. I mean, every episode he's been great, but this one in particular. Yeah. He's, no, this he, in the golf. Yeah. He's very proactive in this episode, but he was also proactive in the last episode making the golf course. So it's, he is a person who just exists to try to make people feel better. And it's, I, of all of the characters in the show, I don't think there's ever anything Hurley does that I think is shitty. His, his characterization is, is pretty on point the whole time. It's just like, he's just a big, nice teddy bear of a man. And it's, it's, yeah, it's nice. Charlie tells Claire he won't leave her. We get the inevitable flashback of Claire putting up drapes. Thomas opens a beer and says he can't do this. It's a very, it feels like we've talked about this already. I I feel like it's a very real scene. I feel like his anxiety, his sort of panic about like it all becoming real feels very real. feels like almost too real. But I, I, Claire just kind of, I don't know. She's just a lot of yelling. It's not a lot of levels. It just feels like she goes from I'm being really quiet. I'm being really loud. It's a terrible, it's a terrible accent. But, so yeah, I, I don't no, know. I know, well, I know you like it. I, 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 like, I you like her more. I do. Well, no, I, cause I do like that line that she has where she's like, just so I'm not overreacting. Are you breaking up with me? <laughs> like, I, I really like that delivery. But yeah, I, again, I yeah, I know we've talked about it already, so I, 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 nothing else to really add to it. Like I know people do this every single day, and good gravy. But whenever I see seats like this, and I see the guy just be like, oh, "I can't do this. I'm I'm walking out of, on my pregnant wife." I'm like, "That's an option. You can do that. I didn't know. I didn't know that was part of the multiple choice." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, especially if they live together, which it seemed like they did. Well, he asked I'm her not... to move into his place. So he is effectively telling her, get out of my place with your unborn baby that is mine. Also, I'm going to leave while you do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. That's weird. <laughs> I Yeah, it's it's a, it's a dick move. Having babies is hard. You know, being in a relationship is hard. So yeah. I see where he's coming from. Wrong choice, but I, I, I get it. <laughs> Back on the beach, uh, Hervé's, uh, Hurley surveys Locke. <laughs> who is okay? Who is doing something with he's aloe, the hide. a shoe, sand, and a hide? Is that what he's doing? He's tanning it. Yeah. Okay. I figured you would know. I like um, it. I because we we did this once on the boats and we eventually gave up. <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that. It's a, <laughs> we we had uh, bags and bags of salt that we kept rubbing on, and it seriously it made the entire harbor reek of rotten cow flesh <laughs> well here's and, here's why i didn't think he was tanning the hide it looks like the hide's already been tanned yes right yes so i'm like i don't know what he's doing to this already tanned hide yeah but i i get for the for the for the normies in the audience it's like it's good enough he's doing a thing it looks like he knows what he's doing so we so we assume he knows what he's doing <laughs> We learned that uh, Locke has been living living in Tustin his whole life. Once again, shout out to the local boy. <laughs> Hurley gets freaked out by the answers and uses a bystander to run away. That was very funny. I love it. Jack says he thinks Claire was dreaming. 
Kate, uh, Charlie jumps on that, and then Kate jumps on him. Jack says Claire's due in one week, maybe two. He underplays the danger, says a stress-induced labor would, quote-unquote, not be good. And I wrote here, the early episodes, Jack, would just say she's going to die. I feel like he has really progressed to a point where he's like, you know, he's trying to say this in a gentle way. He's like, it's not going to be good. Whereas, like, (laughs) the Jack who, like, sat down next to Rose would be like, that woman is going to die. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> what happens if you can't get the shot out? Then he'll die. <laughs> what? A, yes, yes, that's it. That's absolutely it. Hurley interviews Ethan, who claims to be from Ontario. Jack tries to help Claire by giving her sedatives, and she leaves for the beach. Which I get it. I get it. Uh, in the flashback, Claire goes back to the psychic. I wrote Australian money looks fun. I don't know what's going on with that money. That looks like Monopoly money. I don't know. It it's there's all sorts of shapes and it's all sorts of colors. I'll say it, this, but I worked with a native Australian. Well, actually, right now I'm even working with a bunch of native Australians, but that's beside the point. But <laughs> the native Australian that I talked to specifically called it funny money. <laughs> um, and I think that's derogatory, but it yeah, it's absolutely Australian money. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it, it makes sense that money should be different colors and different sizes for people who, you know, are uh, you know are blind or, or, or can't see. But uh, it always just does look like, we're just going to put a bunch of colors together. Here you go. Psychic says Claire must parent the child and no one else. It needs her protection. Claire tells the psychic she's putting the baby up for adoption. And then months later, we've learned four months later, the psychic has been calling her and begging her not to give up the baby, which is insane. Like that is it, even in the context of the episode, like the episode makes it clear that that's, that's weird, but like, that's crazy. Like if you have a psychic calling you for four months saying you can't give up this baby. Yeah. Well, that's why too, like how many callers does she really get? Like we know she works at the fish and fry and we know she has at least one friend, but her mom's probably not calling. Her boyfriend isn't calling. Yeah. Their friends their mutual friends probably aren't calling because they're like, I don't know whose side to pick. And uh, frankly, <laughs> I still want to go out and drink and Claire can't anymore. But I also, I don't know, Thomas, you know, like I, <laughs> it's just weird to me that she still gives him the courtesy of like even listening and be like, Hey, right? stop calling. Yeah. yeah. She like goes, it should have been an immediate hang up and like, yes. I'm getting a restraining order. And instead she like hashes it out with him. She's like, well, I'm not gonna do that, buddy. Okay, I see your, I see what you're saying. No, no, my turn to talk. Okay, all right, yeah. And it's like, no, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, oh, arc number uh, four. It's been four months. One of the. Oh. One of the Claire and Charlie are walking to the beach. We get to uh, Hurley talking to Boone and Shannon. Shannon calls the caves the rape caves, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> I I will say. This is one of those moments, too, where, like, just in terms of, like, a small character interaction, I'm like, oh, my God, this is why I love Boone and Shannon. Boone (laughs) is a social justice warrior, Mm -hmm. and Shannon is a Karen. (laughs) And that's why they fit. And I also was like, I think this might be the only mention of, like, real politics on the island. Yes, I was going to mention, following up from when we were talking about Sawyer blaming Saeed for the plane crashing – Boone brings up the Patriot Act, which, 
Wow. And once again, something I intended to look up uh, before we uh, actually the episode, but for people who are too young to know, uh, the Patriot Act was passed after 9-11 and basically gave the government a real far-reaching powers to just look into the private lives of U.S. citizens. I think the act was rescinded or lapsed at some point, but it lasted for a very, very long time. And basically, Patriot Act was just shorthand for government overreach and uh, Big Brother looking into people's lives. Uh, well, really, really brought me back. I I do love the continuity of Boone's character, where Shannon is like, he goes on marches, and then he's like, mm-hmm. march, you know, but it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, this is totally in keeping with this character. I will say too, though, I think this episode is actually what was subliminally the inspiration I had. I had a stand-up bit for a while that was basically how I'm like, man, if I worked for the NSA, I would totally just open up shop as a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I do like that parallel of, you know, Putin feels that the census taking is like uh, an invasion of privacy. And it's like, you know, Claire has a psychic who may or may not have information that he is not sharing. And, you know, like it's it, yeah, I, I think I'm like, that's a neat way to tie those two things together. Anyway, I, I was <laughs> yeah, um, Boone mentions the manifest and Hurley's like, oh, great. That'll save me a bunch of time. And he's like, where is the manifest? Who are like, who has the manifest? And Boone is like, who do you think? And uh, we get, I think Sawyer's only uh, appearance in this episode. Yes. Uh, Sporting a beautiful pair of, uh, what are they, daisies, sunflowers, sunglasses? <laughs> it's wonderful. I love that he just he's just lounging on the beach, just waiting for people to come ask him for stuff. His interaction with Hurley is great. It's short, but it's fun. It's Hurley, again, Hurley, like, is afraid of a lot of things. But, like, right now, he knows, he tells Sawyer, like, you could use the points. And Sawyer does not even argue he just says it's a good move. He calls him stay puffed and he just, he tells him where to go get it. And it's, it's great. It's uh, you really see the community working together and you see these relationships falling into place. Like it's episode 10. Like we know that Sawyer's got it. We know Boone and Shannon are going to have something quippy to say. We know Hurley's going to be looking out for people. We know Charlie and Claire are going to be looking out for each other. Well, Charlie's going to be looking out for Claire. We know Jack is trying to hold all this stuff together. It's like the island is is morphing into a into a, a civilization. It's cool. I like it. I like it. Yes, I know a hundred percent. And yeah, even like Locke. It's like, what is he? Do? Oh, he's tanning a high. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's what Locke would do. Yeah, I I think that's what I liked about it is how like they're very much there's a rhythm to it and. Yeah, I the Sawyer scene is just so good. Yeah. I and I think we've been talking about this for the last ten episodes, but like he really doesn't get a ton of screen time. Mm. And I think it's incredible how much he does and how much he brings. Oh yeah. Literally like two lines of dialogue and this just award winning smile. Uh, <laughs> it's a great smile. Yeah, also yeah, let's be wearing these glam glitter pop. I mean, that's probably has some dark underbelly, too, because it probably was in, like, a 14-year-old suitcase. Yeah, did you look like a child's parasite clothes? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, just how he, like, just smiles and whatnot. I will say, too, though, this is another example of, like, kind of that choppy editing that I talked about, because when Hurley does ask Poon, like, well, who has the manifest? And Poon gives him of that look. Mm-hmm. That's where you cut. Yeah, I agree with you. 
But I also think we have to remember that this is like a network primetime show and they have to spell it out a little bit more for the audience, I think. I think that's why, because I agree with you, like comedically, the timing is that look, smash cut to Sawyer with the glasses. And instead you've got a little bit of a line. Also, it might be in his contract that Ian Somerhalter has to have a certain amount of lines per episode. I don't know, but that is a thing. But I, I totally agree with you. Comedically, it would have been the right choice to just cut. Yeah. That's why I, mean, I feel like there was some sort of like disconnect, but yeah, or maybe there was like a contractual thing, but like uh, Ian Somerhalter's look was great. It was totally fine on its own. <laughs> you know, it reminded me of the, the term, uh, no small parts, uh, only small actors again. Like you, just, you give Josh Holloway two lines of dialogue and I'm just like, man, I like it watching really is. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of Sawyer always goes a long way. We cut back to Charlie and Claire. Claire goes into labor. Charlie accidentally confesses that he was a drug addict. We get a flashback. Claire is going over the adoption details with a couple. Claire says her dad used to sing her Catch a Falling Star. Uh, I think that probably is going to come back into play somewhere. Uh, the pens <laughs> no, don't... <it> won't. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does. I think Christian ends up singing it at some point. Maybe. Maybe. Uh... Who knows? I um, well, wait. Can we talk about it? this? Is, I I've actually I'm already checked checked off all my notes, but I just I, I I do gotta praise I guess the production design. That whole scene of her in that lawyer room, like <laughs> I all of these people made me so uncomfortable. I wrote this down. So the the woman is the only one who looks like you know she's she's hopeful. She's she's sad. She's happy. She's all these things. The lawyer and the husband look like they want to murder Claire. It's, I feel like the note was, you both need to look very intense, but it was too much. They put too much mustard on it. It, it feels, this whole scene feels very threatening. And I don't, I don't think, (laughs) I don't think they needed to go this hard, but they do. Yeah. And well, like, I, I don't know if it's like the bookshelves behind them are like taller than normal or what, but it just, yeah, it feels very threatening and domineering. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about, you know, the adoption process, so maybe this is normal, but I feel like this could be handled in, like, a well-lit office, like, you know, just all of them sitting together. Like, I don't know why they have to be in this boardroom where it looks like Claire's getting divorced from humanity or something. Like, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it's all very intense. It's crazy. Yeah, the pens don't work. Is that, is that coincidence or is it magical? I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know how we're supposed to take that, actually. I don't know if it's supposed to be a sign or if it's not, because uh, they're not on the island, but magical things can happen off the island sometimes. I don't know. Um, I will say, in terms of Emily's acting, uh, or maybe the editing, she doesn't try very hard. You know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> this pen doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> she, We see her, I think the flashback ends with her knocking on the psychic's door. Charlie's running, uh, finds Ethan. Uh, tells Ethan to go get Jack. Mistake. Back to the flashback. The psychic claims that there's a couple in L.A. that will take care of baby. He even gives her $6,000 to go and claims that she will get another $6,000 when she gets to L.A. Charlie says the psychic might have known about the plane crash and put her on the plane to make sure she did raise the baby. Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, flight 815. I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but those are also arc numbers. We've probably mentioned it before. Um, I'm realizing now that you mentioned that he gives her six thousand dollars. I'm like, man, that is another. They just went one more. I yeah. I, guess, I wonder why they didn't make they didn't use the regular numbers there. Well, I, 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 
I feel like it's the omen thing. Is it, they wait? It's like how long's it been? Sixty six seconds. I'm six weeks late. Here's six thousand dollars. I think it is. They're trying to drive home that the child is Satan incarnate. Like, you know what? You're absolutely right. That is that is now correct. That is that is what's going on here. They're telling that baby is Satan. We see uh, we see Said hobbling through the jungle. Um, he gets back to the caves. He tells Jack they're not alone. I almost think it would have been better to wait on that because you have both that and at the exact same time you have Hurley coming in saying somebody was, wasn't on the manifest. And I feel like, I don't know, for me, it feels like you should have done one or the other and it yeah. should have been the Hurley one. That would have been the better one. His delivery of that line is so good. Yes. He yes. wasn't on the plane. Yeah. I, I, I can't even do it. I love it. I love it. Cause uh. I think I hear that in my head and, you know, as we've said, this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite endings to an episode in the show. Like, I think it's what this show does well is leaving you with a hell of a cliffhanger. And this is like, this is a bombshell because up to this point, it's like, okay, we've met Rousseau, but we know how she got to the island. We know that she thinks there's other people around and we think we heard some whispers, but maybe that was just in his head. And then we have, we have solid Visual confirmation, there is somebody on this island who did not come on the plane, and he has an agenda. And holy shit. Uh, yeah. Like a legitimate villain. Because, yeah, like we we're like, I don't know how I feel about Locke. Uh, Sawyer, kind of a dick. <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, to actually have someone who it's like, oh, he's been attacking the pregnant woman. And it's like, well, that's not okay. Sawyer wouldn't do that. Locke <laughs> wouldn't do that. And it's like, yeah, it's just like, it very much raises the stakes. Mm -hmm. So the last thing of the episode is we just see Ethan giving his creepy stare to Claire. Uh, he does say hello there, which I don't know if this was before or after. I think this was before uh, Revenge of the Sith. So I'm going to say that George Lucas stole hello there from Damon Lindelof. <laughs> Sorry, it's a meme. It's, a it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Obi-Wan Kenobi says hello there. But actually, <laughs> now that I think about it, I think he says it in the original trilogy, and so George Lucas was just copying himself. And that is raised by another. You know what? I think I've turned around a little bit on this episode. I think uh, that's what I'm saying. I feel like, yeah, on a re <laughs> like I was like, I don't feel bad about this. I don't feel like, so, but like no, like on a real, I'm like, yeah, I think that thing that you mentioned actually towards the end here about how all the characters, like, we know how they're going to respond, like, when he walks up to Boone and Shannon, when he walks up to Sawyer, like, mm -hmm. yeah, there's definitely um, a rhythm to it that I think is uh, super neat. I like this, that. This episode was written by Lynn E. Litt. Um, this is the only episode of Lost uh, that she wrote. Um, oh. According to Lostpedia, she served as a consulting producer on the first season from the episode Tabula Rasa until Hearts and Minds. Um, so it looks like her participation in the show was somewhat limited. But uh, but yeah, not a not a bad episode. I do feel I do feel like the Lindelof influence here. I think that he probably had some pretty major notes uh, on the direction. But yeah, I stand by what I said before. I think that it it wouldn't rank anywhere near my like favorite episodes, but. Not a bad episode by any stretch, and it's a it's an important, uh, I think, a foundational episode for for building what uh, what's to come. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm already thinking ahead to when uh, Ethan 
uh, abducts the both of them, which I'm still kind of like logistically, how did he do that? Um, well, the I always felt the implication was that Ethan was like superhumanly strong. Like he's not he's not like a normal human. And there's Mikhail, the guy with the eye patch, who like can't die. Um, oh yeah. But there's yeah, there's there's something. And does you know? At the very least, I guess I'm realizing now, given that they said that you know Claire's diet is boring bananas. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder if this is also like the difference between. Someone who is malnourished, sleep deprived, not getting, you know, versus like Ethan, who comes from, as we know now, a village of completely like healthy. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, Charlie's a little guy. He's not, you can't, he's a hobbit. You can't, <laughs> it's not too hard to to mess with him. I remember there's, there's a fight between Ethan and Jack, either in the next episode or the episode after, that's really brutal, where like Ethan and, just beats the shit out of him yeah i remember that yeah and it's like dude i I thought that would be a more evenly matched but it is not no um (laughs) there was something else there was like one more thing oh no it was the what i was gonna say is if this were a show being made today this is this would be the end of the show episode 10 it's like few streaming shows go past episodes, like 10 episodes these days. Like usually they're like eight or 10. Oh uh, yeah. And like the fact that there's still like, like 12, 12 or 14 more episodes in this season just really shows like, it's crazy. Like how much show there is in this show. Um, all right though. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for, for the next one. I don't, I don't even know who next one... Or no, next one is... Every time I read the title of it, I always assume it's going to be a Sawyer episode, and I think it's a Jack episode. It's a, Is it all the Cowboys' best Cowboy yeah. issues? Yeah. Yeah, I always think that that one is referencing uh, Kate, which doesn't, doesn't make sense, because Kate's not a cowboy. But yeah, I always think that's a Kate episode. I feel like the, the fish and fry... They, it feels like they named it that just for her to say it in that accent. <laughs> there is something specifically about her Australia accent that I do find very soothing. Like it is, I I I I like the way that she pronounces things. My five dollar an hour job at Fish and Fry. But when she says stuff like Fish and Fry, Fish and Fry, it was like oh, I don't know why it just kind of gives me a tickle in my ear. I don't. You know. Yeah, Fish and Fry. <laughs> like five dollars an hour at the fish and fry. Uh, all right. and bananas. There's a lot of alliteration this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, the writer is Lynn E. Lit. She uh, has alliteration in her own name, so there you go. 